Welcome to Stand Up and Clown, the podcast. I'm your host, Chad Demiani, and uh, today, just for this uh, short supplemental episode, I am flying solo. Um, I know we've been out of service for about three weeks, and I wanted to give everyone an update. The uh, podcast uh, will be back. We have three episodes right now in the can. Jim has uh, an opportunity. I'll let him talk about it when we uh, come back, but he's just been very busy the last few weeks. So we should be turning over those episodes very soon. We're very excited to do more episodes over the summer and have some great guests lined up. Uh, I wanted to, one, try to do a solo podcast, uh, not only just to give you that update, but because it's been something on my list of things to do before my birthday. My birthday is tomorrow, uh, May 15th. Uh, it is not a milestone birthday of any sort. Um, last year was a big one. But the podcast was something I definitely wanted uh, to introduce into my life. In general, I don't know if I've spoken a lot about this during the podcast, but I've been really trying to sort of live a clown life on and off stage. Even hearing my say, myself say that, I, I understand how just excruciating that is to hear but just the idea you know of being present with what's happening doing things that bring me joy not feeling like I have to uh, be a part of systems or serve uh, systems you know I can subvert them I can make my own path Uh, and this last year has been pretty great you know starting this podcast doing a bunch of shows Uh, I got to do some work with speaker world Um, got to just build so much great work with friends. Uh, It's hard, to be totally honest, because once you lose that sense of security, even though it's completely false, if you didn't know, those paths that people tell us to take, I mean, who knows where they lead? I can tell you that almost any path in my industry that I've been told to take, in the end, serves people in power. Just like any sort of authoritarian idea. Any time people tell you to do things in a certain order, there's someone way above you who will absolutely profit. And if you profit, well, that's great. But that is certainly not the end game. Uh, This is already sounding a lot like a conspiracy theory podcast without Jim, and I apologize for that. Um, But yeah, I wanted to record one podcast where... uh, I just kind of talked about some stuff and see how that felt and then maybe get some feedback from you all on if that is something you'd like in the future. And that can include answering questions or kind of just reviewing more clown-related stuff in a deep-dive kind of way. So I had a couple things that have happened in the last few weeks when we weren't recording uh, that I did want to talk about, the first of which was our April stand-up and clown Uh, show. The second one. We did two in April. We did one on April 24th. It was great. Sold out. um, Just an electric night. These have quickly become my favorite nights of the month. But there is something that's happening there that I think does apply to a lot of our shows, which is this necessity to grow with your audience. Because even though there's no fourth wall, right? We're doing clown. um, There's a an urgency to have authenticity. You know, we want to be present, we want to be seen, but these shows do have a fiction. Um, 
stand-up and clown specifically, I play this angry director. I'm going to really challenge these stand-ups. You know, in the early days of this show, we had a large crowd who wasn't sure just how serious I was. And now, in the April 24th show, I polled the audience and almost everyone there had seen the show before. They understood where it was headed. They knew that there was a sense of play. They also knew that a lot of joy came from them pushing back on me. Uh, And that's all great. Uh, But it also kind of forces you to kind of shift and find different ways to create tension and challenge this audience. They know they're going to get that release at the end. They know that uh, the stand-ups are going to be cheered and laughed, uh, laughed at. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I come from a pro wrestling background, and they certainly have completely embraced the idea, especially uh, with what we call post-kayfabe, this era where we all agree that this is a fiction. So, you know, in pro wrestling for a long period of time, everything was built around convincing the audience that everything was real so that the audience would have these visceral reactions and really hate the villains slash heels and really cheer the baby faces. And then uh, when WWF at the time wanted to avoid the regulations that come with athletic commissions in different states, they just came out and said, hey, this is straight entertainment. It's all made up. It's scripted. And a lot of people thought that would be the death of that business. But in fact, what happened was the audience became more part of the show. Um, They understood that they were part of creating the fantasy of a pro wrestling event, uh, especially if they were being televised, that them at the arena was creating the environment that made fans watching at home on television really feel the energy of the fiction of these championship belts and these blood feuds. And so we're in that position where we're balancing kind of winking at the audience, like not in an ironically detached way, but sort of looking at them going, we all know where this is headed, but how can we make the journey this month surprise you? Like, how can I still shock you? How can I uh, implicate these uh, stand-ups slash clowns in a way that you haven't seen? Uh, A lot of that, for me, has been also taking direct pages from the Pro Wrestling Playbook, adding these little sub-stories involving the characters of the show that we see every month. That's been great. Um, Also, I've been breaking a lot more, to be totally honest with you. There's just been some just magical moments where the tension's so high, but we all know it's bullshit. And really fighting it, but allowing myself to have moments of uh, that kind of joy, which, you know, there was a point in my life where breaking during a show uh, would just have haunted me for days after the show. I would feel like, oh, you, you lost it. But now that I know that this audience is a collaborator, you know, having these just little blips where they can see under the mask in the middle of the show and then we get right back to the fiction they've only added to the energy also I think there is a difference between just repetition and ritual and it's really fun to watch an audience embrace the ritual of something you know 
we start the show the exact same way. Jim comes out, people cheer his name. I come out, I try to add a certain level of tension. You know, we have all these parts of the show that are always the same. And by doing that, by creating that ritual, essentially we're creating an architecture that allows us to subvert the ritual. So finding that balance between you've come here for a certain experience and we're going to provide it. And there's these moments that you really enjoy, but don't get too comfortable because just when you think you know exactly where the show is going, because we have followed this ritual religiously, we always have the option to take a left turn, to misdirect, to subvert it. And it's fun to grow with a show. It's fun to grow with an audience. It's a challenge in the sense that you have to be open to this thing that you've created becoming something different. But also, you always have to be mindful of not letting it become something that isn't the product you want to put out into the world. And I think that tension's great for artists. I think sometimes we fall on the wrong side of it, and that's a great lesson too. But so far, I couldn't be more excited about doing these shows. There was one other thing that happened the last show that I wanted to talk about really quickly, which was, by far, we had the worst behaving duo, like absolutely refusing to acknowledge my authority. Uh, And it worked perfectly. And you should know that in these shows, I really instruct these comics to play the game, to play the fiction, to be the underdogs. Um, In pro wrestling terms, we call it work from underneath. And what that means is you have opportunities to um, rob me of my authority. You can push back. But in doing so, you're just telling the audience that you're okay. You're telling the audience that they that you don't need their help. Um, you are fine. And they can enjoy your presence, but they don't have to rally behind you. And this is a tried and true formula for this show. Always works. Until it doesn't. And in the last show, we had like a comedy legend, Eddie Pepitone, uh, and an, another really beloved comic, James Adomian, both who are known as real rebels and you know, tricksters and agents of chaos. And the minute they took the stage, it was clear they weren't going to listen to me. And the audience was 100% on board. It didn't hurt the show in the least. If anything, it created a level of anarchy that only made the show more exciting. I will say, as it was happening, there was a part of me that feels like there are comedians in the audience right now who are watching and they are misinterpreting this as a path to success. And the reality is, these two guys, they were just the right people. They just had that relationship with the audience after decades of doing stand-up comedy. They were naturally underdogs and they were two older men who were in a cast of like young, dynamic performers. Uh, the audience was rooting for them. They didn't want to see them suffer. And they felt the crowd and they pushed back and they took over the show and hijacked it and it was wonderful. But in general, the reason that works in that instance is because they are the exception to the rule. They're the very unique unicorn of a clown that the audience refuses to see down. 
They refuse to see them suffer because they just love them so much. And I think it's a testament to those two men, uh, Eddie and James, that that's the relationship they have with the audience. Another thing that's happened uh, since we've taken our little break is we're back doing shows at the park. So Clown Zoo, which is like one of my main groups, um, we are doing shows all through May uh, at the old zoo. If you are in LA, we're, we have a few more because this will be released uh, before the end of our run. Um, they are 12.30 p.m. Griffith Park, the old zoo. You bring a blanket, a chair, um, wear some sunscreen. And we do these shows in the park. They started during the pandemic um, when there was just nothing to do. And we were, we, when I say we, this ensemble of clowns, and we did add to, but in general, this was a group that had performed together for years at the Lyric Hyperion. We were all just jonesing to play, and we wanted to find a way to do it. And we had gone to a birthday party uh, for one of the cast members, Bill O'Neill, and we're just outside, and it was so wonderful, and we are at the old zoo, and for those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, the old zoo here is legitimately the old Los Angeles zoo, and there's a section where there's all these stony cave enclosures, like where you might see lions or something like that. And it just has a natural vibe. Um, it feels theatrical. There's an energy there as if like it was alive at a certain time. It's kind of haunting. And Corey Podell, who's been on this podcast, um, kind of made a joking suggestion that we should do a mask show because we all had to wear those PPO masks, which then kind of created this um, series of events where I coordinated with the help of Natalie Palomides this show that we did all through the pandemic. And even though now we can obviously be back in theaters, it's still one of my favorite things to do. Uh, we hadn't done it for months because we had a real rainy season here. And the first thing that always happens when we take a break and we get out there is this lesson in the power of environment. I've been listening to this book that's unintentionally hilarious on Audible called The Humor Code. And, I mean, I can go on and on. I could do an hour about how hilarious this book is. Uh, one, the voice talent sounds very much like a mix between producer Robert Evans and a strip club DJ. So he's got this way of talking about comedy that's just so unintentionally funny. And the writers are essentially a journalist who thinks he's pretty witty and a humor scientist. So these are the two people kind of examining humor, which is the death of comedy, I think, when you really start to try to figure out why something is funny. Um, I hope that's not what we're doing here. I hope we're examining the sort of principles of an art form, but maybe that's just semantics. But there's a chapter in the book where they talk about there is a perfect place for comedy, a perfect comedy club, you know, for stand-ups and you know, low ceilings, and it's dimly lit, and there's red curtains. And it's so different for us. It's so different for clowns, because the environment, we want it in a lot of ways to push against us. You know, when we're at the park, we are the definition of the uninvited guest. When we are there, there's construction going on, and dogs, and hikers, and literally packs of people walking through our performance area in the middle of the show. And it just creates the absurdity for us. You know, uh, here we are. I mean, I'm in full costume. Like, I wear um, 
beard paint and you know I have these uh, colorful rainbow gloves and socks and we have all these theatrical masks and we're doing the silliest stuff you know we're doing our best at it but when you are making a promise to do a great show when you're claiming you're going to do this epic piece of theater but you are outdoors in the afternoon competing with all these distractions and that's something else that I think that's where we differ from stand-up clowns is that almost any distraction that we encounter that can end up being like this joyful obstacle and and every show this happens you know we've had you know kind of groups of I don't know if you call it daycare but a bunch of kids that kind of go to the park uh, that are being watched in the summer and these kids coming over and just heckling us um, we, we you know we've had dogs bark and run into scenes um, lots of the police drive by and we all have to stop for a second because we're not supposed to have any amplified sound and so we just have to pretend we're doing something else and because we acknowledge them because we sort of play against them in this joyful way they end up only making the show more interesting um, and ultimately the thing that I always feel almost immediately when I get to these shows. And I wish it was something that happened more across the country, um, across the world, is that play happens so naturally outside. And yes, we can control a lot of factors in what happens in a show. Uh, when we're indoors, we have tech, we have lights, you know, we can control the audience and how they sit and how they see us. But as human beings, we're hardwired to be outside and be joyful and play, just like a dog park. And so when you're out there with your friends, whether we have, you know, sometimes we'll have an audience of 50 people. Sometimes we'll have an audience of 10. The play drive is so overwhelming. The fun of it, it's just, you can see it. We get pictures taken every time and it's just, we get lost in it. And I am so grateful at my advanced age, even more advanced tomorrow on my birthday that I still have some opportunity in my life to experience that. Lastly, I did want to discuss, I got to teach the first um, of this new class I call the language of nonsense that happened a couple weeks ago and it was so fun. So I spent several years working on this two day intensive called save the show, which I really love doing. And I don't want to talk too much about it in case people get to do it, but there is a sense in that particular intensive of you're being told one thing, but another thing is true. So it's this idea of giving clowns an experience of being presented with rules, limitations, um, authority, and watching to see if they figure out how to push against it. And for me as a teacher, it's a very important thing when you're teaching something as fun as clown and some something is, is just so kinetic and so about the human experience that we don't get lost in the academic elements. You know, I guess if I had to rate, you know, when I when I'm looking at teaching, one, obviously, you know, we are not teaching people to sort of perform surgery or do anything important. Um, it, we want it to be fun. Like this should be, if we're teaching an art form that brings people so much joy, then the exercise of teaching it should be joyful. And honestly, that's not always been my experience taking classes. 
and I'm sure there's a lot of people who've been out there where it's taught as more of a suffering of like being conditioned, like Navy SEAL training for artists where you have to have your ego death and you have to be broken down so that you can be your true self. And I've just never been a believer in that. I think that play is something so natural to us. You just have to reacquaint a student with the ability to play. And when you do that, you get the second thing, which I think is most important, which is by the end of this class intensive, whatever you're doing, that there's such a genuine sense of community that these people really do love and care about each other because I think that's also reflective on what we want to show to be. We want to show to be the experience of connecting so deeply with an audience that they're in love with us and we're in love with them. We know this is um, fleeting. We know this is just a moment in time we're creating and we're all going to move on with our lives and we're not going to be um, beholden to each other anyway. But like that in a class, you, you want the students to sort of experience what's possible in a very short period of time in terms of being truly engendered and uh, and just really liking people despite all their flaws, seeing them and still being like, I want you in my life, which is part of what play is all about. Um, there's a really good book about play by a guy named Dr. Stuart Brown, and he talks a lot about the socializing elements on how we need to have this way to sort of interact with each other so that we can learn to trust each other. But also not necessarily... It, play, for me, is not a search for perfection. Like, when we play, we're not trying to find our perfect match. We're not trying to find a perfect friend. If anything, play allows us to embrace each other's imperfections and still see the good of having these people in our lives. That we can create something with imperfect people, because that's, guess what, everybody. There is an element, I think, in teaching that is suffering. Uh, but it isn't this idea of, you're going to come here and you're going to be miserable, but by the end of it, um, you'll have you know transformed into a different, different person. I think it's more of this idea of the joy of suffering. So, so in teaching... Getting people to maybe confront things about themselves that they work very hard for the world not to see, letting their classmates see it, and then letting these people witness their classmates being like, yeah, that's everybody. That's my uncle. Uh, I have friends just like that. Um, it's okay. You know, you're not perfect. You have qualities about yourself that you're kind of embarrassed about, but that's being human. And so there's a suffering in, I guess, being exposed, being seen. But there's such a joy in realizing that all the weight that we've put on hiding these things has been for nothing. Because when we allow people to see us, truly see us, that most people, and there are, hey folks, there are evil people in the world. There are awful people in the world. But in general, people want to have community. They want to interact and like each other. You know, and I think it's easy to forget that because when you've been burned and we've all encountered people in our lives that have exploited our vulnerabilities. We've, we've encountered people who've taken advantage of our goodwill. 
And it's very easy to sort of just cut off the possibility of exposing yourself to that. But in clown, I guess as clowns, we decide that despite those risks, it is worth it. It is worth it because the joy that comes from those connections and the joy that comes from that play will fill our lives up. And it's okay to deal with the occasional situation where that, I don't even want to say backfires, where that doesn't give us the intended result. The result that will be the majority of your life. If you're open and present, most of the time, that's going to be a positive experience. Also, I should mention, I do have two classes in June that are still open. um, And this Language of Nonsense workshop has been great. Also, you know, doing a new workshop, and we had such a good time at this last one. We had such a great class show. It's great for me, too, because it's pretty much there. It's like 85% there, but there are moments where I feel a sense of failure. I don't think that's something that the students feel, but I'm sort of refining this idea of teaching people how to communicate, and I'm trying certain things, and I'm making missteps. And also... For me to have joy in that suffering, to be like, okay, I was doing this other intensive that I was so confident in, I had it kind of dialed in. It was, it almost felt like a two-day performance where I could pretty much depend on certain results for certain drills and exercises. I mean, every every group is different, but essentially we were close to the target, and here. Some things are surprising me and some things need to be slightly refined. I think that brings a level of, what's the word I'm looking for? It makes the experience dynamic for the students too, because we're all kind of navigating these rough edges. And a lot of times those rough edges, they reveal things that something that's a machine that's polished and streamlined and assimilated doesn't. So, uh, I have those classes in June, and I'm also going to Costa Mesa, uh, where else? Denver, Chicago. These are all trips in July. I have some really exciting phone calls with some other cities. And if you hear this podcast and you're in the city and you think you have a community that can support getting 16 or so people out to do this work over a weekend, you can also reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at at the Chad Demiani. I'm really excited to spread the word. Um, It's been a while since I've really traveled. In 2019, I was on the road constantly. And man, the thrill that comes from introducing clown to a community, especially a community that has a base, like an improv community or sketch community, there's really nothing like it. Um, It's just a different type of play. And things like this podcast... This is one of the things I'm most grateful for, honestly, from the last year of things that I was like, these are things I need to do um, now that I've... It was 50. I turned 50. You might see on uh, Instagram, by the way, I constantly claim that I'm 64. Uh, This is more of a social experiment because I do it every year and have done this for five or six years. I often will announce my birthday three or four times in a year, and I will see the same people just responding, happy birthday. It's like, oh, right, We take ourselves so seriously, and people are barely paying attention to us. 
It's like we should just have more fun because in general, we have a handful of people who care about us deeply and everyone else could give a shit. So why aren't we having the best time possible? All right, that, uh, that concludes my first, potentially last supplemental episode of Stand Up and Clown the Podcast. I've had fun doing it. Uh, I would love to know from you all if you want to reach out to me on Instagram at TheChadDemiani. Also, I would love to answer questions. If you had specific questions you feel this podcast is not addressing, we one of the uh, podcasts that we have um, waiting for you in the can, I guess is the technical term, is our first live podcast with Claire Wilner and Kevin Krieger at Public Displays of Altadena. And we had an audience there and they asked questions and we had the best time. So if you did have certain things that you wanted addressed, that would be something I would love to talk about on future supplemental episodes, which I'm hoping to do. Uh, But until we speak again, my friends, this has been Chad Damiani. The pleasure is always mine. Keep on clowning.